Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know people who just don't get it? You know, those people who don't have a clue? Well, we all know them. Tell me, are you sick and tired of where you are today? Would you like some changes? Have you ever felt like the underdog? Can you imagine rolling up your sleeves, digging in, getting it done, and making some changes? Tell me, do you know what it would take for you to be on the A-team in life? Have you ever heard about a book called Get It, The Guide to Becoming the Ultimate Complete You? Or better yet now, would you like to meet someone who has some of the answers that we're looking for? Now, are you ready to learn how to be successful? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Today, I will be introducing you to my guest. He is a success coach extraordinaire. He will provide us with wonderful, informative, and inspirational lessons and some really, really great advice. I'm pleased to announce that our show now has over 1.7 million listeners to date. Also, LinkedIn has announced that my profile was one of the top 5% most viewed during 2012. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. My guest book is dedicated to those committing, committed to creating the freedom that so few enjoy, the freedom to embrace the true self. This book is for those willing to take full responsibility, roll up their sleeves, dig in, and get after it. It's for the believer. It's for the contributor in you. This book is dedicated to those willing to face up to their ultimate fears and break through to the other side, the side that holds the prize. Lastly, my guest book is dedicated to people of the world that have been knocked down, kicked down, pushed down, thrown down, pulled down, and are willing to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get busy, really, really busy. I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Brett Figaro. Hi, Brett. How are you doing? 
great. Thank you so much, January, for having me on. This is a privilege and an honor, and I always love to be part of the no whining zone. (laughs) 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 I've had the opportunity to to read a little bit of your book, and I can assure my listeners that Brett is a no whiner. He's a a go-getter. Tell us, Brett, Mm. where were you raised, and tell us a little bit about your early life. Sure. I was uh, born in uh, Northern California, raised in Northern California, and uh, uh, when I grew up, actually, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Sacramento, California, and uh, went to high school out there and uh, kind of moved around and bounced around a lot, and my dad was in business and kind of had some business over in uh, Northern California and San Francisco, and so we lived kind of in the Bay Area for a short while, then around fifth grade, I moved into uh, moved to Sacramento, uh, California mm-hmm. with my mom and my dad and my three brothers, and um we uh, started living our life out in the Sacramento area and uh, started uh, just kind of taking on, and you know, the, the young years of being in fifth grade and just kind of figuring out life and learning mm-hmm. about some of those things, and so kind of progressed and went from there. So Northern now, California was where I was uh, raised, Sacramento, uh-huh. actually. Now, what were some of the struggles? Because this show is all about people sharing their success stories, and we right. we want to hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Could you share some of the struggles you had growing up? Sure, of course. This, I mean, some of the struggles. I, you know, people ask me, you know, Brett, why do you, why do you, you know, what is it about getting in the motivational industry and the success industry? Like, how does somebody land in this industry? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of different than being, you know, a, maybe like a teacher or a dentist or a doctor or you know, an accountant yeah. or something of that nature. And, it's kind of like a non a non mainstream industry to get involved in, and so people invariably ask me why do you get involved in that, and and, uh, and it's usually out of uh, inspiration or desperation, and for myself it was really about being inspired, and um, uh, it's really inspired to get out of the place in which I was in, and so I really grew up in an environment uh, in my young years, I grew up in an environment with an alcoholic mother, and I grew up in an environment with a with a dad who was a very abusive a dad physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I grew up with parents that really just spent a lot of their time really just emotionally uh, just not, I mean, you know, some some children are kind of raised in a different environment and they're built up and they're, you know, led to lead and they're, you know, champion all along their way as a young child. And, and then there's that other champion. He's got he's to rise himself. He's got to rise, rise himself above. And so for my own self, uh, being able to uh, rise to the occasion, I really felt that in my young years a lot of the confidence was really beaten out of me. And, I mean, you know, like no pun intended, but, you know, mm-hmm. really just kind of like, you know, you take on this sense of like worthlessness or, I mean, if you got a mom and her dad and they keep beating at you, you probably think, well, gosh, I must not be very worthy, you know. I mean, I'm getting beat mm-hmm. all the time. And I think psychologically it's kind of a hard thing to process. And uh, but but I but I still continue to I never I never let that sense of uh, my upbringing, whether it was my parents going and having a field day on me physically or being in a foster home I was in a foster home for a period of my life and um, mm-hmm. I never really let that kind of stuff I never felt that I was part of my problems um, mm-hmm. I did feel that those things you know had to bear a certain weight on me and that it carried on with me up till I was probably about 18 or 19 years old and. Um, so when I was uh, ultimately about 18, I wasn't I, in our family. You weren't really led to college. It wasn't like you know, okay, mm-hmm. like in my family with the raising of our children, we uh, you know guide them all and making sure they're all set for college and that that's really important and higher on our radar. But in my family, that really wasn't a it wasn't anything you were looking forward to. You just couldn't wait to get out of school and sure. kind of just carry on and, and you know take on your life. Well, and, then basically. Uh, so, 
basically what you're saying, Brad, is that you became successful not because of your parents, but in spite of your parents. Now, when you yes. were young, who were your early mentors? Who gave you this self-esteem? How did you, uh, who did you connect with to get where you are? Well, it's interesting you ask that. Uh, that's a really great question. I don't get that. I don't get asked that very often. So that's a great question. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I always migrated towards older people. I always had, uh-huh. I always had a, um, I always had the sense of being around older people. So many of my relationships and many of my friends were uh, people either that I was doing yard work for because uh, uh-huh. we were very, we were very out on the streets. Uh, my parents had a thing that once you got out of sixth grade, you bought all your own clothes, you bought your own shoes, anything you wanted for yourself, you bought. And so I was always on the streets working, mowing mm-hmm. yards, raking leaves, pulling weed. So really my friends, some of my older adult friends, and we would sit and we would chat and they would kind of teach me about life. And so many of them I really looked up to and I just mm-hmm. saw like, wow, you got a really neat life. You know, there's mm-hmm. not this chaos <laughs> that goes on over at my house. I mean, yeah. In my house, it was constant chaos. So I mean, it was just unbelievably constant chaos. And I would just migrate towards these other people's homes, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, if I could have if I could have a life like that at some time in my life, like this would be really cool. The last thing I wanted to do was emulate, for the most part, our lifestyle. And it wasn't like it was horrifying, but it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Right. It was a pretty crazy lifestyle. And, um, well, you know, so, yeah, my I, mentors were really older for older adult friends of mine. Well, I grew up like you too. I was from a, a dysfunctional family, and just like you, I kind of was on the outside looking in through the window of right. other pe- of other people's yes. lives and thinking, "Wow, they have these fantastic lives." And yep. even then, as a young person, just like you, I knew that. I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to live the uh, like the father knows best life, and uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. just like you, I I've done it. it. So basically, what you and right. I both are saying is that anyone can overcome a dysfunctional past. Don't you agree? I do. I absolutely, one thousand percent, wholeheartedly believe that that we do not need to stay in the shackles and in the binds of that old conversation. We can reinvent ourselves. We literally can reinvent a future versus uh, living an old antiquated past that we, we can, given that we get up and move ourselves into a different direction. And uh, so that, that kind of segues me in because I, I really needed to do that. I, was, I, I do recognize that we can become a product of our own environment. And so the environment that I had – was not a conducive environment for my future, and I recognized that, fortunately, at a young age. And mm-hmm. so at 19, I boarded a Greyhound bus, and I headed out of town. I was like, I, for this, now, to this day, I've never looked back. Did you finally get yourself to college? No, I never stepped foot a day in college. But, but, but that's yeah. a kind of a different story because I have been to all the most major college campuses across the United States uh, uh-huh. to this day, but, but never sitting in an official class. Uh, just uh-huh. visiting from a distance. Um, <laughs> okay. But no, I never did go to college. And we were kind of raised in an environment that said, you know, you didn't necessarily need to go to college to succeed. We had one uh-huh. of those very highly overambitious grandfathers, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, he never went to college. So it kind of just, you know, kind of it was kind of set into our DNA uh, that college wasn't, you know, something that was highly necessary mm-hmm. uh, in order to become successful. And so it just wasn't part of our fabric. And so we were really raised entrepreneurship. So for my own self, ever since being a young child, I've always been entrepreneur and go find it, go make it happen, you know, just roll your sleeves up and get out there. 
Right. Well, you were ahead of the time because now with the Internet, so many people are skipping college and so many right. people are becoming fantastic entrepreneurs and That's very right. successful. Yep. You know, I, I kind of did it half and half. I went two years to college and then I decided I, I could do better on my own. Um, right. And, you know, just like you, it was a big goal of mine to give my children the kind of life that I wished I had had. And um, why don't you think most people reach their true potential? What do you think holds most people back? Um, Well, I think that there's several different answers to that. I don't know if there's one primary answer to that, but I I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of people really quit dreaming. You know, they kind of, they just quit dreaming. They, they, uh, and that was one of my reasons why I wanted to get out of Los or Sacramento, and had to. I had a to the Greyhound and headed to Los Angeles and started my life in Los Angeles. And I think that people, when they you know head out of town and they go to a new city, a new environment, they start mm-hmm. to dream again, and mm-hmm. they start to yeah. look and go, "Gosh, you know what? What if? What, what if I actually make something of myself?" And mm-hmm. I never asked those questions back in Sacramento. You know, I was just kind of again kind of the product of the of the environment, and you kind of just get sunk in there. Right. And uh, so I, I think a lot of people they just really quit dreaming. And I think the other part to that answer is, and not to be self-promoting, but I also think a lot of people just don't have a great coach. They don't have somebody to, to, that really can look at them. It's like, you know, people say, well, why doesn't somebody succeed in Los Angeles if they go there to be an actor? Well, yeah. many times it's not because they don't have the right talent. It's because they don't have the right agent. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, we see a lot of people, we see a lot of talentless people on television. <laughs> they just have really good agents. <laughs> you know? And so, I, so, I mean, it's like a great, you know, tennis star or basketball star or rock uh-huh. music star. I mean, you know, they got great people on their side that can help, you know, fine-tune them. They can help put them into great, you know, situations in life and, so I think that's you know that people yeah. again they quit dreaming and then if they can start to dream again and they get can get the right people in their lives uh, to help fine tune them into into you know taking themselves up personally and professionally to a new level, uh, then I think that people have that ability to reach a, a whole new potential. I know oh, it works ab- for me. I know personally it worked for me uh, by having Absolute. those types of people in my life. Uh, absolutely, it's. Uh... Luck and timing uh, for everyone and everything in this world. And speaking of timing, it's time to hear a word about our host. And we'll be right back with Brett Frigero. Yes. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul? People who have faced difficult problems. People who fearlessly shared their stories. People who have priceless personalities. I've been fortunate to host a talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories, and it's been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. In my new ebook, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, child abuse, drug abuse, and even polygamy. Then there are my guests dealing with physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects. All of my guests have been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. I look forward to sharing them with you in my new ebook, Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones. The introductory offer of $4.99 is now available at Amazon.com. Order it today. Welcome back with another priceless personality, Brett Figueroa. And Brett, I love that you talked about the quit dreaming because, you know, I came into retirement, I'm now turning 70, and I thought I had quit dreaming. Wow. And then just all of a sudden, within the last year or so, 
I've blossomed into a talk, radio talk show host. And what a what a thrill this is to get all this energy from so many people. So you're never too old to give up. That's uh, amazing. You don't sound 70. <laughs> you sound, that, you sound, gosh, you have all this energy and spark and aliveness. That is great. Well, as you wow. know, when... When you're when you find your passion, don't you think life yes. gets to be so much easier? Oh, there's no question about it. There, there's absolutely no. I mean, it, it, we we either have passion or we're passionless. And you know, when you're into drag, can meet people that have no passion. It's just like, oh my gosh, are you mm-hmm. serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you get a little bit of step in that walk <laughs> at <Yeah>. all? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, so passion definitely takes. I like to say passion takes the work out of work. Uh, oh, like, you know, you, I can love be, that. you can be working, but you don't really feel like you're working because you're so in love with what you do. Mm-hmm. One of my friends says uh, her, vo- her vocation is her vacation. And uh, <laughs> she's the number one most agent in the world uh, with Century 21. And, uh, but she's so passionate about what she does that she never feels like she's working. Right. She's really great. And so many people ask me what the definition of passion is, and I always tell them that when you find something that you would do for free, that's your passion. That's right. <laughs> That is, no question about it. No question. I love that. Now, tell us a little bit about what it was like working for Tony Robbins, and what was your position, what did you do, and what was he like? So working with Tony Robbins was a blast. That was a really (laughs) great experience. And and that was, for me, that was, again, one of those, those, okay, I've got to get a great coach in my life. And I was Uh in a place where I was about 26 years old. And uh, no money, struggling, scrapping, $500 left to my name. And I went to a particular program called Life Spring, and it was located in the downtown garment district in Los Angeles. And the event was $395, and I, uh, and, and I had $500 left to my name. And I'm like, do I really put $395 on the table when I only have $500 left? You know? and, uh, but I, I really, I really kind of like, you know, go put, put it into faith and says, I'm going to do it. And I'd seen uh-huh. people go through this particular program. And, so um, I really, this is where, this is kind of a turning point in my life at age, about age 26 or 27, and I put the 395 up, and I said, this has got to be the turning point for me. This has got to be the thing that makes my life turn around. And mm-hmm. I went to the program. It was unbelievable, transformational for myself. I cried my eyes out for three days. I talked about your history, your past, your upbringing, and, you know, it was really about being uh-huh. responsible for your life and not a victim to your life. And so I was able to really come to grips with a lot of things. And so I left out of that three-day program, and I, I made a vow that said, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I was oh, so wow. enamored with my trainer. I was so enamored. I said, if I could do what he, is, do what he did for those three days, if I could do what he did, I could die a very happy person, mm-hmm. knowing that I was really able to touch people's lives and be with people in a powerful way. And so one day I was in San Diego, and I was uh, with a friend of mine, and um, I dropped him off for a business meeting, took his car tools around town, and uh, I just showed up at Tony Robbins' office. And uh, Tony <laughs> Robbins out in La Jolla, I just showed up at his office one day, unannounced, mm-hmm. no calls, no written letters, no formal invitations, just showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just so happened, he was there. And um, I mean, here it is, one of the most biggest, powerful, you know, book trainers in the world, and he's uh-huh. hanging out right there at the office. And so I heard his voice, and I turned around the corner, and there he was. And he had a pack of people with him, and I jumped into the elevator. I'm like, hi, my name is Brett Figueroa, and you know, I just went to town. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked him out to his car, and, uh, and, and next thing you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a um, great adventure, and I, I basically made introductions with him. And uh-huh. I followed up to come back and do an interview with his company to be a trainer out on the streets. Okay. And mm-hmm. I came back, and they brought, they brought me in to do the, to do the interview, and they didn't hire me. Oh. And 
uh, about two or three months later, I finally got a call, and they said, um, they said, well, listen, we have a position for you if you're interested. And, and uh, I said, well, what, what is that? And they said, well, it's in the telemarketing position. Uh-huh. And I'm like, um, that really wasn't Ooh. what I was looking for. You know? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't looking to go into the telemarketing business. And I, I said, well, what is it paying? I paid $7.50 an hour. And uh-huh. um, and it was a struggle because I was meant moving out of Los Angeles two and a half hours away to San Diego and uh, uh-huh. up basically uprooting out of my life to go on a hope, wish, and a prayer to go to work for this man's company. And um, mm-hmm. so in a long story short, I started in that position as a telemarketer, and I didn't oh, have really? a car at the time, and I would basically take a bus to go to work. I would work, I would work all day for eight hours, and I'd jump back on a bus. The, I would, the bus would take me back into downtown. I would then take a trolley and the trolley would take me inland and then I would drop trolley would drop me off and I'd grab a cab and then the cab would take me home. <laughs> you know, like buses and trains and trolleys and cabs for seven fifty an hour, you know. But I was really commit but I was really committed. I was really committed. Well you know, and I love I love talking on the phone, but tell me, I can't imagine what would be the worst thing besides constant rejection uh working as a telemarketer. Um, I, I mean, to me, the rejection, I just, we were always so trained in being, being a, being an entrepreneur from a young standpoint, I never, ever had an issue with that. So uh-huh. I think because I started so, no, I started so young as a kid. We started, I started about age nine banging mm-hmm. doors. And so, it, you know, by the time you're 26 and you're doing it a lot, you've, you've become, so you got such thick skin. Uh, <laughs> and for me, what I would get a no it was always looking at how can I get to the yes. So we're mm-hmm. always looking at how can we rephrase, re-angle, re-manipulate okay. so we can okay. get to the better response. So it, it kind of was, okay, that didn't work. What's a better approach? Uh-huh. And uh, so, so I ne- never really got too hooked in with that. Yeah, so you didn't take the rejection personally. Obviously, you were no, being professional no. about it. What was your breakthrough with Tony that allowed you to become their top salesperson? Yeah, so they kept wanting to fire me. So finally they brought me in as a telemarketer, and then they kept wanting to fire me. <laughs> so they, they, I mean, really, they, they finally gave me the position, which is what I wanted out on the streets promoting and selling for his mm-hmm. training programs. But uh-huh. I was so bad at what I did. I was so terrified at what I did. That, you know, they're just like, you know, they just want to fire me. So I finally had a breakthrough, and I, I share this with people because I think that for, for the most part people have a, a time, a moment, a something of something happens. And for me, it was on December 15, 1996. Okay. And that was, my big, that was my big breakthrough. And it was at 9, 10 a.m., if we want to get even more specific. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> so, love yeah. It. So it was December 15, okay. 1996 at 9, 10 a.m. And uh, so they, they brought me into the... Well, they they brought me into the corporate offices because I was out on the tr- I was out traveling the country, uh, speaking and training, and they brought me into the corporate offices and they were bringing me in to fire me again. <laughs> again. <laughs> but this time they had official walking papers laid out on the desk and were letting me know. And so I sat down and she says, "We we really like you and you're a good guy and yada yada yada." But you know mm-hmm. we're heading back east for the year and we need to make sure the people we have with us are stellar. They're just solid. And yeah. so we've made a decision as a company that we need to let you go as of today. And so I recognized in that moment, in that moment, I had one of two things. I either can go, you know what, you're right, this industry is not for me, or uh-huh. I can fight to the death. I can just go for it. And I stood up, took my 6'5 body, hovered over this woman's desk, and I was like, <laughs> you can't fire me. There's no way. I'll break records. I'll defy all odds. I'll do whatever it takes 
to be your very best. And I mean, I just laid it all out on the line. And her uh-huh. eyes were like saucers. They were like, whoa, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, she came back and she's like, okay, we'll give you one more shot. Yeah, okay. And so that one more shot turned me into breaking all records. I took income. I went from $10,000 on a check to over 100000 on the very next check. I broke. I oh did nothing. His company had never, ever seen any level of success. We broke all production records. We broke all financial records. And to this day, being away from his organization for 13 years, to this day, nobody's ever done uh, the type of numbers that we did in his organization. And so uh, there's so many different variables, but I believe that. How how long did it take you once you were set on fire? How long did it take you to become the very top, the very best in his organization? Uh, We did that within a very short period of time. Like we went from a paycheck, we went from a paycheck, from, from one paycheck to the very next paycheck, and that was about an eight-week period of time. Wow. So we went from just being average and ordinary, just doing something that was great. My wife and I looked at each other. We said, let's get crazy. Let's get silly. Let's do something this company has <laughs> never done before. And uh, so that's really what we invite our clients, the ones that we work with today. We're like, you know, I know from my own personal experience that when you set yourself on fire to do something great, that you can. Uh-huh. And I don't think that people need to move incrementally. I believe they can do, they can make giant steps. They can do things that when they look back and go, whoa, <laughs> like they impress uh-huh. themselves <laughs> times 10. <laughs> you know? Okay. And, and I think that's a good role model. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Totally. Now, Brett, let's back step a little because I just heard you mention your wife. When did you get married yes. and how many children did you have? So you had a, mo- a big yes. motivation to become successful. Well, I met my wife. I was single, so when I went to work with Tony, I was very single. And then I was, uh, I said, I was with going with a friend of mine. This is kind of wild because I was with a friend of mine in San Diego, and we were going to go out and interview people about the missing link to life. Like, what's, <laughs> like, homeless people. I just talk to people in random. Like, what's the missing link in your life? Like, what's missing? Uh-huh. Like, you know. And so uh-huh. I took the video camera, put it on myself before we left the house, and I said, the missing link to my life is a 5'10", a 25-year-old 5'10 blonde. <laughs> and I said, 5'10", 25-year-old blonde. Well, three days later, I met her, and I was going <laughs> in Hollywood to speak at SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and uh-huh. there, it, there she was, 5'10", oh 25 God. years old, blonde. I said, boom, we're getting married. I mean, I knew right away. That was it. That's <laughs> destiny. I said, you need, you need to understand. You know, I, I told her I had it on video. I just come back to my house and see it. She's like, yeah, right, sure, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're well, still that- married to this day. We just celebrated our 15th year and we have three children yeah well so that's uh i want my listeners to remember this little story because what brett's saying and what i've tried to say so many times is when you put things out into the universe in a positive way guess what the universe will respond to you and uh what a great what a great response! And 15 years Absolutely. later, you're still there. I love it. You know, right. we're going to take still there. It's yes. <laughs> we're going to take a break in here from my sponsor, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Brett's work as a coach and uh, what great. prompted him to leave Tony Robbins. We'll be right back with Brett Figueroa. Could your commute or daily exercise routine use a boost? When was the last time you really got the giggles? This is Adele Park, author of Yikes! Another Quirky Audiobook, inviting you to tune in, turn on, and let loose a few good laughs. 
Yikes, Another Quirky Audiobook, is about a marijuana enthusiast named Blue McKenna who gets involved in a reality TV show as a way to cure an apocalyptic case of writer's block. A conglomerate of kooky contestants invades the polygamous community of Naval, Utah to compete in a reality show called Yikes. Things get sticky when Blue McKenna's hemp garden is ignited during an ill-fated seance. Find out what's going down in the desert in Yikes, another quirky audiobook. Visit www.yikesaudiobook.com to learn more. That's www.yikesaudiobook.com. You know, I have both of Adele's books, Yikes and Jitters, in my car, and I listen to them when I'm on the road, and they I, they guaranteed to make you laugh. You will love them. Now, uh, we're back with Brett Figueroa. Brett, what uh, prompted you to leave Tony Robbins? What prompted me to leave Tony Robbins? Well, I had sort of got to a place uh, where we had, we had got to where there wasn't a higher place for me to go to. I was... Uh-huh. I, I was there. I mean, we had re- we had broken sales records. We had we had defied the odds. We had got to a certain place. And my wife and I, we were in Fiji with Tony. He was the best man. Brought him up. Brought, gave us our wedding at his resort in Fiji. And mm-hmm. and uh, we were um, we were just at that place. And we took him off to one of the one of the uh, huts or one of the berets. And we just let him know that you know, thanks for the great opportunity. Been a wonderful friend, a wonderful coach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it's time for us to to make that departure and so I was ready to take things on into my own hands. I was ready to go to it. It's kind of like okay, I've had a coach now, and I've you know they've, tra- they've taken me this far. I was with this organization for about seven years, and I got to train over three thousand companies on his behalf, and we right. moved twenty five times in five years, and that's <laughs> kind of a lot of moving. Yeah. So after moving twenty five times in five years and speaking to three thousand companies, we kind of got to a place and goes, okay, I'm done. Okay. Thanks for the great ride. It was awesome. Okay, so now, obviously, what do you like most about being your own boss? Oh, well, definitely the freedom and the flexibility to just be able to do my life on my terms. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love that, and I love coaching. I just, like I said at the top of the interview, it's it's like, you know, once I found that, that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, it's different variables of how I'm going to show up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, will it be through live events? Will it be through coaching? Will it be through books and trainings and all that kind of stuff? And so I, I love coaching. I love to see people have those types mm-hmm. of breakthroughs that when they look back, oh, wow, I never, I never thought I could do it. You know, I never <laughs> thought that I could have that type of success happen for myself. And so for me, that's just the greatest gift of all. I couldn't be any happier of a person uh, when now, I Brett, see uh, our friends. Tell us a bit about your brand. What is your brand as a coach and as a speaker, your personal brand? Sure. My, my brand is high octane. So my brand is really, it's really high octane, if you can't tell. We kind of, you know, our job is to kind of go in and I see it's a, a lot of people say, well, I don't, you know, they go, oh, I'm not looking for motivation. Yeah, but you need some, <laughs> you know. So, you know, some people need some. <laughs> some people could use some more extra motivation and, and more extra. We're, we're kind of, you know, there's regular octane and medium octane. We're, we're high octane. We really like to bring, uh, as, as Tony, Tony, Robbins, Tony Robbins' companies calls me, they said, Brett's a lot of a lot. <laughs> you know, so when I do training for his company and his people, they're like, dang. Uh, we just like to get people uh, and align with people that really are about putting more emphasis, more energy, just tapping deeper into themselves. And so that's 
our brand is a sense of uh, high octane, a sense of uh, just bringing more of themselves to their game, whatever that game is, uh, versus you know low octane or medium octane, just bringing more more of themselves. Yeah, you're definitely a fast forward so, guy, and your most recent yes. book is Get It. The Complete yes. Guide to Becoming the Ultimate You. Now, why did you choose the name Get It, and uh, how long did it take you to write your book? Uh, why did I choose the name Get It? Um, because for me, I believe that getting it is really most important. And I mean, it's almost like, you know, out of the womb. <laughs> it's like, you know, if, we're, if the baby's nursing and if they don't get how to nurse, <laughs> there's problems. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's, there's problems right out of the womb. So, you know, mm-hmm. getting it where all of a sudden inside the baby's brain, they go, oh, I get it, and, you know, they're going to town. And I think it's also like, kind of like riding a bike. You know, we don't get it till we get it. But once uh-huh. we get it, once, we, once it all clicks into place and all clicks into gears, and I wasn't one of those guys that got things early on. I just, like, people would go, oh, I think he's dumb. <laughs> you know, he's not getting it. <laughs> you know, and but, 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 but watch out when I do. <laughs> you know, okay. Watch out when I do. So, um, Wonderful. Uh, well, you know, yeah. I, had a, I had a chance to look a, briefly at your book, and I'm going to kind of just quickly go through the contents sure. and the parts. I'm going to say the part one, and it's called take full responsibility, and could you make a brief comment on that chapter? Uh, sure. Take full responsibility is, is versus taking part responsibility. Oh, okay. So I take full responsibility. So I think full responsibility simply says instead of being victim, which is what most people, it's easier to play victim saying, you know, the mm-hmm. bus ran me over, being mm-hmm. responsible basically says I put myself in front of the bus. Okay. And <laughs> so I believe that those that take responsibility they are, it's only when we take responsibility that, that we then can do something about it. But if we've been victimized and the bus ran over us and chased us through town, then there's really nothing we can do about it. And I believe that if we're really about being able to manipulate and do something different with our life, then we've got to be responsible for what, what, whatever is, whatever is. Absolutely. Now, part two is get up and get committed, which is a really, uh, must be a very important chapter. Uh, yes, getting up and getting committed. I think that most people are uh, laying down and they're uncommitted. You know, they're like, uh-huh. you know, passed out on the couch somewhere and, you know, sitting back sidelines with the remote and, you know, hoping and wishing and praying that their life will soon become something. And I really believe that if somebody's really committed to getting on with their life and doing something amazing, then they've got to get up and get after it. They've got to get up and get committed once and for all. And I believe that the, the people that we've seen, that we've been fortunate to work alongside with over the years, uh, many times that that's exactly like, oh, gosh, you know, it's, it's finally, it's about time I, that I finally woke up. <laughs> you know, yeah. they were kind of like sleepwalking well, in life. Yeah, you know, it's like so many people uh, I've talked to want to write a book, and I basically yes. say, sit down and start writing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer. Um, the yeah. one I love is part three, turn your shoulds into must, because I've heard so many people say should have, could have, would have. Uh, what are your thoughts right. on part three? <laughs> well, yes, I'm very, this is a very intricate part of the work in which I do with my clients, because if, some, if somebody you know, says, well, I, I should quit smoking, well, they never will quit smoking until they make it a must. So uh-huh. if they come into my office okay. and they go, I should quit smoking, well, they never will. But if they come into my office and they go, Brad, I must quit smoking, well, I've got good odds with them in quitting smoking. So it's really about taking whatever our shoulds are. I should do this. I should do that. 
and really we say we really could just shit all over ourselves. <laughs> you know, I have all these shoulds. <laughs> and, and, and when we can turn those and we say, I must, you know, mm-hmm. I must get to the gym in the morning. If somebody goes to bed at night and they go, I, must go, I should go to the gym in the morning, they will go. But before they lay their head on the pillow and they go, I must be in the gym tomorrow morning by 6 a.m., they've got better mm-hmm. odds at getting them. I must write a book. I must create financial independence. I must increase my sales. I must start this project. I must. And that's a deeper well, level a- of commitment this is a good uh, point for a lot of people sitting out there saying, I should lose weight. They have to switch it around to, I must lose right. weight. I and must. It's, it's very important about raising your standards. Don't you agree? Yes. Yeah. Oh, raising your standards, no question about it. Yes. I mean, that, that, really, is, that really is the whole premise about raising standards. It's about taking our shoulds and transforming them into a must. And if somebody mm-hmm. were to take their top three shoulds, and immediately shift those. And the fun part is that the moment somebody says, I must quit smoking, there's a different physiological and neurological expression and feeling that goes along with that. Okay. And once oh, they yeah. get to that feeling, well, they got better odds at making the shift. Okay. Yeah, very good. Part four, getting excited again. And, of course, we talked about that earlier. I'm excited again yes. about working in radio. And you're excited about what you're doing. Um, it's part of finding your passion. Don't you agree? I do. Yes, there's no question about it. I mean, I really believe that finding your passion and, and even, if it, even if it's getting excited about finding your passion, you know, even, mm-hmm. even if we go, well, you know, I'll get excited when I find my passion, why don't you actually just get excited about finding your passion? <laughs> you know, I mean, imagine, imagine how that might be if you just got excited about finding your passion. <laughs> you know, when I get there, I'll be happy. Why don't you actually just be happy along the road? <laughs> Yeah. You know, Why don't you, you just know. basically get excited about something, and boy, there will be a big right. change in your life. Now, part five, right. and I'm a believer in this one because I'm, uh, I'm right hanging in there. Do whatever it takes, yes. and sometimes right. that's very difficult, isn't it? Um, well, it's all a matter of, I guess, where one's commitment is, but it, it can be. There's any, any of these components can be very difficult. I mean, none of it was set up for easiness. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, we've heard a million times it was never set to be easy. You know, I mean, there's definitely a level of, uh, you know, there's a level of resistance that, that we deal with, but it's that resistance. It's like adding weight on the bar when we go to the gym. It's like if we only lift what we can lift with no resistance, we only have a body of maintenance. But if we throw a little bit of additional on, we, have a, we put more demand, which then it grows to muscle. So I think this is really the whatever it takes is putting a little bit of additional weight on the bar so we're actually building a, a, a life of growth, building some muscle in there. And most don't look do whatever it takes. They do whatever's convenient. And right. as, soon as, it's no longer conven- as soon as it's no longer convenient, they're out of it. Like, you know, sure. if it's no longer okay. convenient to invest in their business or if it's no longer convenient to, to go to the gym, they're out. And where mm-hmm. the superstars continue past the convenience aspect because they're just committed to doing whatever it takes. And they have well, a body know, that shows for it. They have financials that show for it, et cetera. I love what you write about getting in your best physical shape. And that leads us right into part six, building strong daily habits. You know, I'm in a walking program now. And I've been walking for an hour, well, 45 minutes to an hour every day. And it becomes a habit. And all of a sudden, if That's you right. don't do it, you really, you really miss it. Right. Yes, no question about it. I mean, I, I really truly believe that the quality of one's life is in direct proportion to the quality of their habits. And okay. when people really start to microscopically examine their habits, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and if they make a decision mm-hmm. to say, what are my top three worst habits, and they, and they shift to the antithesis of that habit, well, before you know it, they're going to they're gonna start to build 
a, a new a, a new muscle for themselves, and now they have a solid set of six muscles or ten strengths. I mean, now they've got some good solid habits. And I think that for most people, they, they fail in life not because they don't have the ability to do something great, but they just got a poor set of habits. And they recycle those habits day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, living in the delusion that someday they'll change. And sure, until they sure. make it a must to change those habits, they, they're going to stay locked in. It's so important. You know, we're going to take a break and hear from one of my sponsors. And when we come back with Brett, um, I'm so inspired. We're going to talk about what kind of person uh, Brett looks for when he's looking, inviting people to coach with him and, and work with him. Also, we're going to talk about what success means to Brett uh, and if he has any regrets or advice for us. We'll be right back with Brett Figaro. Second time around can be better. Second timers try harder. Looking to have a rewarding second marriage, any marriage, read Successful Second Marriages by Patricia Bubash. She interviews a variety of couples that have succeeded in their second attempt. Each story reflects that the second marriages can be tough going, yet be the best of the best. Learn from these couples who share their intimate stories, how they struggled with difficulty and have thrived. Stories such as, Our Kids Drove Us Apart, we separated five times in four years. Four months into our marriage, my 85-year-old father-in-law came to live with us. One year into our marriage, I was diagnosed legally blind. Death of my eldest child brought grief, depression into our new marriage. Successful Second Marriages is encouraging, hopeful, inspiring. Available on Amazon.com in book form and ebook. Read Pat's musings at www. Dot SuccessfulSecondMarriages.com Pat's book is fantastic. I highly recommend it. And I also highly recommend Brett Figueroa's book, Get It, The Complete Guide to Becoming the Ultimate You. Now, Brett, for my listeners out there who are considering signing up and working with you, what kind of client do you look for? Yes, what kind of client do I look for? I look for that type of person that... Just like we went through those six different elements or areas, those six different chapter types, that's the type mm -hmm. of person. Somebody goes, I'm willing to do Brett whatever it takes. Uh -huh. yeah. here, you know, and, and, and here I'm t completely excited about building my business. I'm completely excited about I mean, you know, it's like my belief is that most people know what to do, but they're not doing what they know. And so if we can find people in the marketplace that are at a certain juncture of their life where they're going, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I've been in this place long enough. I've been earning this amount of money. I'm ready to get out of the doldrums. I'm re ready to find that passionate part of my life again, you know, building my relationships, whatever that is. The, 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 the important part for me is to really model match myself with that right individual because I'm not a boiler room coaching company. So boiler room coaching companies, you've got money, bring them in. You know, but as a private coach, you really, you really, get hand, you know, you really hand select that type of person because if you, mm -hmm. you go back down the wrong you know, person, then you've got time invested with the wrong person, and that to me is dead. I don't need the money. I'm okay. It's really about finding, being aligned with that individual that where you got good odds, where they go, here's what I'm committed to having happen, and you know that you can actually get them to that place because they're willing to follow, you know, the certain principles that we have lined out. Sure. Now, so when someone signs up with you, how long do you tell them, how long does it take to get to that goal, or for each person, is it different? Um, well, I kind of run a fast-paced program. 
So mm-hmm. a lot of coaching programs, and I have different variations of the work in which I, I do, but for the most part, my model in which I work with individuals from a private space is usually about 60 days. And so what that means in six, and so, but my clients usually are producing high-end results. Like, for example, I had a particular woman that I was working with, uh, mm-hmm. and she sent me a message, she sent me a text message right after. She goes, I don't know how you did it after one conversation, you know, with my, with my, uh, with my, um, uh, my psychiatrist and with this and that, but I, uh, you did it in one session. Like, you know, how did you do that? How did you get me in one session what they couldn't get done in 10 years? And uh, yes, so my my area of expertise is to, is really again high octane to get and produce results right away, not way on down the road, not months down the road, but right away with our individuals. So whether it's in their business or their fitness, uh, uh-huh. to get them moving on the fast track right out of the gate. Okay, well you're high octane and you're in the positive business. My question for you is, how long did yes. it take you to write your book? Uh, how long did it take me to write my book? I don't know exactly, precisely, definitively, like I know the December 15th, uh, yeah. <laughs> 1997, 10. Uh, but if I were to guesstimate, it was somewhere yeah. in the range of three to six months. Okay, okay. That's, that's a very short time. Most people, yes, when I interview them, they'll yes. say two years. You know, two to three years is what I usually hear. So that means you really got busy and got it done. Now, yeah, uh, most of the time, yes. Go ahead, finish about the book. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 had, I was kind of in that same, same boat, and it's interesting because I did a 12-CD audio program for a particular uh, industry, and people had been asking me about this p- program, uh, you know, Brad, are you, you know, what about your audio program? I said, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. It was amazing for 13 years I had been working on it. And when I finally had <laughs> yeah. enough leverage, when I finally had enough leverage because I went to a program and I go, gosh, if I would have had my CDs here, oh my gosh, I would have, it would have been just amazing. Mm-hmm. 30 days later, I had them done. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, there definitely was a difference between, you know, I'm working on it for two years or five years or 10 years yeah. uh, to when you finally put yourself into the saddle and get writing or get recording. It's amazing. Miracles yeah. come to fruition so fast. Oh. I love hearing it. This is music to my ears, and I hope all my listeners are taking this in. Now, briefly, you're in the positive business, sure. but do you do you have any regrets you could share with us? I don't. I don't live in that place. I mean, you probably oh. can tell. I don't. I just right. don't live in the. I just don't live in the regret in the regret land. You know, like oh, I wish. You know, okay, sure. Yeah. So I wish I would have had money back when I was eighteen to invest into Microsoft. Yeah. All right, so yeah. there's one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, well, we all regret I, that. I, sure. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I'm very destiny driven. I'm very. I believe that everything happens for a reason. Like the leaf falls off the tree when the leaf's supposed to fall off the tree. Right. And so I just believe that the good, the bad, and the ugly that have happened with me along the way including all of my upbringing experiences, are the exact, precise, definitive experiences that I was destined to have, that I, would, that I needed to have in order to become who it is that I am today. So mm-hmm. in terms of regrets and stuff like that, I just don't have, I just don't have those things that I really yeah. live and go, oh, I wish I would have done that, and oh, I wish I would have done those things over there. I just, you know, I'm sure there's been things periodically you know, that I might fret about, but, but nothing that's so high on the radar that you know, I've got to go see some hospital therapist about or something. Right. You're definitely not a should have, could have, would have. Now, what does, no, success, no. what does success mean to you and what's next for you? 
Yes. Um, so what success means to me is really being able to have a, a, a solid life uh, that I choose. You know, that I, that I, mm-hmm. not, not one that I'm thrown into, not one that I have to do, um, not one that, you know, that, that I'm kind of, you know, that you just go, oh, you got to go do this because you got to make money or because whatever that thing is. But to me, success is really being able to be with great people, coach great clients, have my wonderful family, married 15 years, and I've got a 7-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old son, and a 14-year-old son, and to be able to spend time with my family, be able to spend time in the yard, hang out, just have a nice sense of balance, be able to be physically on my game. Because to me, if I'm not successful, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I have all these other equations and I've got great clients and I've got great family, but I'm physically upside down, to me, that's not success. Oh, so to me, to be able to have the, the ingredients in my life, such as the fitness and the finances and the emotional and the spiritual and the different ingredients and being able to go to church on Sundays with my family, those different elements. And if I can have all those wrapped up in one nice pretty package, then dang it, I feel like, gosh, I could die and go, Okay, I'm cool. Sounds very cool to me. Now, just briefly, what's next for you? Uh, What's next for me? Yes, uh, what's next for me is continuing on to do what it is that I do. I'm Mm going to be taking my work over to China. I believe that I'm going to be heading off over to China in the month of October. And so I've I've been uh, creating a bunch of relationships and uh, a bunch of different affiliates uh, to do work with in China. And so I've got quite a few clients over there right now, and my basically my clients have been like, Brett, you got to get out here, <laughs> you know, come to China. <laughs> and uh, so, um, hey, with their blessings, I'm ready to go. Now, Brett, would you please give us your website information? Great, of course. Thanks, January. What a great pleasure. Uh, the website that somebody can find our book or any of our products or information is at Brett Figueroa International. Brett F I G. U-E-R-O-A, international.com, brettfigueroainternational.com. Oh, wonderful. Well, Brett, I hope you have a wonderful time in China. I hope a lot of everyone of my 1.7 million listeners, I hope you go out and buy the book. And uh, when you get back from China, give us a call, and we'd love to have you come back on the show and share your China adventure with us. That is awesome. Thank you so much, January. What a great pleasure. Awesome. It's been wonderful having you. Thank and you. to my wonderful, wonderful listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our fantastic show with Brett today. Hasn't he been amazing? I, I, I'm so energized just talking to him. Uh, my upcoming guests for the rest of the week are all just like Brett, exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They will amuse, astonish you, and they will amaze you. This is the show where you hear inspiring information that will help you to become successful, too. We love sharing our stories, struggles, and secrets for success. Now, I want you to remember my mantra, if you think it, then you can do it. So for now, dear friends, please stop whining and then start smiling and then start sharing our show with everyone you know. And if that doesn't work, then start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. Again, thank you to Brett Figuero. This is January Jones thanking you for joining me today on my journey and reminding you to take care and stay safe. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Story. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. 
All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.